Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Bossed Up Podcast. This month, we are sharing the best of the Bossed Up Podcast. And ironically, one of the most popular episodes that we've ever produced is the very first episode I ever produced called To Lead or Be Liked. Now, I sat down with Sarah Green Carmichael for this interview, who was at the time one of the editors at the Harvard Business Review, to really discuss the number one challenge that I am consumed by and that I think a lot of women are troubled by, which is that being a leader in today's world runs contrary to the stereotypical and historical notions of being feminine. And that dissonance, that discord is basically at the heart of so many frustrations that professional women face, or really that all women face who are trying to assert themselves in this world that doesn't always like women who assert themselves. And it was really the basis of Bossed Up. And it still is so foundational to every piece of work we do. And every single talk that I give in companies or at conferences is all about this tension. Like, how do you navigate being a boss while wanting to be liked. And I was so thrilled to sit down with such a brilliant woman who has since moved on to Bloomberg in the Bloomberg Opinion Division, but who gave such a great interview. So enjoy our conversation all about how to lead when you also want to be liked. Enjoy. I have a question about female versus male bosses um, and just how when women are promoted, they always seem to have to befriend their direct reports in order to gain respect in the workplace, but men don't seem to have to do that. Um, I see it time and time again where I'll have a boss, and if she's not super nice, bringing in treats, asking colleagues to hang out um, for lunch or after work for a happy hour, they don't seem to gain her respect especially when a woman is promoted and starts having direct reports that are men. Um, it doesn't seem to work when a man is promoted that he has to work so much for that respect. So I would just love your take on this, and um, I hope you answer my question. Christine, that is such an on-point question, and I'm so glad you asked. This challenge of being a woman leader without everybody always liking you all the time and not necessarily having the time to be friends with everybody at work is something I know a lot about. And Sarah Green Carmichael, the executive editor at the Harvard Business Review, is the perfect person to join me in answering your questions. So Sarah, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to join you. So what do you think about Christine's conundrum, one that I think all women navigating all kinds of workplace and leadership challenges face on the regular? Yes, I have so many thoughts about this, and it is such a common problem and actually such an interesting one to explore. I know we don't usually think of our problems as interesting, but there's a lot of research on this, and I, I think it is interesting. So I would just say at the outset, first, 
you know, while every organization is different and some are more sexist than others, um, this is a common problem that a lot of women face. And generally, there is this likability double bind for women where if you are perceived as really warm, you're likely to be perceived as less competent. But at the same time, if you are not perceived as warm, no one will see you as competent, confident, um, someone they want to follow. So it's really a struggle that a lot of women face. And it's one that I think stems from our innate desire for people to like us, right? I think women and girls especially are conditioned to be sweet and nice and all things classically feminine, caring and supportive and helpful. And those are great things. But the conflict that exists, right, in the research, we've seen this inverse correlation between uh, likability and the characteristics seen as essential to leadership really create, like you said, a double bind for women or these tripwires. Harvard Business Review has published a lot of research on this. What do you feel like um, we can do with that data? How do women navigate that kind of a double bind? Yes. So the answer, right, is probably not what Christine wants to hear. I mean, the answer is that you don't really have a choice. People are going to think certain things of you and have expectations of you. And as a leader, you have to set your own boundaries with what you're comfortable with and figure out how to give other people what they need from you. Um, and that can be hard and punishing sometimes. Um, but I think, you know, what I would say is that the good news for women is that when you look at how leaders are rated in organizations, and there are some different scholars and researchers who have looked at thousands of feedback reviews of women from across thousands of organizations. And what they see is that female leaders tend to be rated higher. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is that women, you know, do have to meet a higher bar to get that promotion. We know that. It's, it's not good news, but it is what it is. And the second thing is that people really like having bosses who do those womanly things, who ask them how their weekend was, who empathize with their concerns, who lead through consensus rather than top down. So while it is a more labor intensive leadership style, I would say it's also a more effective one. How interesting. So what you're saying is all leaders could take a cue from some classically feminine characteristics of being more empathic towards the people we work with. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Like we should not what we should be doing is raising the bar for male leaders like they should do these things, too. We should have higher standards for them. So it's funny because, you know, the term bossy is often used as a negative label to describe women who are calling the shots. But what you're saying is that male bosses should be a little less bossy, too, and sort of temper some of that hardcore assertiveness and, you know, commitment to direction or setting the agenda with a little more listening and small d democratic practices. I love that. What do you say to folks who would argue that they don't have time for that kind of emotional labor, right? Because that's sort of an invisible amount of, of housekeeping around the office to bring in cookies for, you know, someone's birthday or to um, ask about how you can be extra helpful on your way out the door if a colleague is stuck behind finishing up an assignment. What about the folks who would say, you know, women shouldn't be shouldering all that emotional labor? Yes, I think that's a great point. Emotional labor is totally exhausting. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> women are already really busy and don't have enough time to do these kinds of things. So I would say um, figure out what you can do that is warm, genuine, authentic and helpful, but without taking a lot of time. So maybe instead of bringing in homemade cookies, just pick up some donuts on the way in. 
you know, or, you know, instead of asking someone out for after work drinks, if you have to, you know, there's other places you have to be and stuff you want to do, um, maybe go out for a coffee with them during the workday instead. Um, every manager, I think, should have a regular weekly or every other week check in with their direct reports. Um, that's a really important way to sort of keep tabs on people. But you can also use those one on one meetings that are part of the regular workday to just check in with people, how they are, not offer to do their jobs for them, not that level of helpfulness, but say, how can I help support you? What's getting in your way? You know, what would be useful? Um, and really talk about that. So you definitely have to protect your time while still showing empathy. And it's a good reminder that it's OK to have fun during the workday, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not just task master to do list slayers. We can also take time during the workday to build morale, right, to hang out, to get to know our colleagues. Here's the thing. One of my mentors uh, early on, I think I was 22 or 23, said to me once, like, Emily, I know that you're going to be on the rise. And the minute you can, you'll step on me to get ahead. Whoa. And I know it was so jarring to me and I felt like oh my goodness I really like this woman I thought we were friends and she was a mentor showing me the way and even sometimes the friends and loved ones and women in our lives can treat women who are being ambitious in a way that feels like you can't win what do you do when it's not just befriending the people who are reporting to you but it's other folks in your life who sometimes throw shade at women's ambition yeah, I think that's a really good question. And it's really tough to grapple with some of this stuff, especially when it's coming from an unexpected place. Um, like if you have a rival at work, you might expect them to stay stuff like that. <laughs> but if it's like your mom or your like beloved aunt or something, you might be like, whoa, what's going on? So I think you can in those moments, you can just say like if it's a friend or a, a family member, you can just say, yeah, I'm really excited about my career. You know, I'm really enthusiastic about it. I feel really passionately about what I do. And you have to kind of be okay with how they see you. I think that last part is very telling. It's you have to be okay with how other people see you. You know, I think behind Christine's conundrum is this underlying anxiety over the fact that you know, yes, women are held to a high, sometimes impossible standard when they're rising as leaders in the workplace. So what do you do if someone doesn't like you very much? Sometimes the answer is like, there's not much you can do. <laughs> like, right. how do you how should women leaders deal with some people just not liking them? Right. So I think there's a couple things. One is you have to have boundaries around your own well-being. Right. You need boundaries to protect your time and you need healthy boundaries to protect your heart. I think if you are having a, a conflict with someone at work who could really damage your career, who has the clout to damage your career because they don't see you in a positive light, then you do need to figure out how to address that. Um, so you can say something as simple as, well, you know, I really am excited about my career possibilities here in this organization, but I am here to support your agenda and to work with you. So let's figure out a way to do that. Um, in terms of, of the likability thing, I mean, that's really tough. When I was taking on my first big project, um, before I was a manager, you know, I, I was really young and inexperienced. My boss at the time said to me, your job is to do this project. Not everyone's going to like you, but it's not your job to be liked. And that was really helpful to hear because I just thought like, oh, it's not my job to be liked. Like this is like a newsflash. Um, so I think it's important to remember that, you know, 
people may not like every decision that you make. They may not even like you, but what they want to know, what they want to feel is they have been treated fairly. Yeah. And that's not a gender thing. That's a human thing, right? Everybody wants to feel that way. I think that's such a great point for anyone, maybe you, Christine, listening or anyone else listening who hasn't been given that permission from your direct supervisor like you were, Sarah. This is officially us giving you permission to know that not everybody needs to like you. That is not your job. Um, I think that's such a liberating thing to hear from someone, especially early on in your career. I also have to shine a light on one of my, really my all-time favorite pieces of writing about these double binds that women face in the workplace today, which happens to have been published by the Harvard Business Review back in 2013. You all ran a cover story on September 2013's issue called Women Rising, the Unseen Barriers, really the unseen barriers that are still holding women leaders back. And this was covering research by Ibarra, Eli, and Kolb. And one of the fascinating things that came out of this piece, a piece, by the way, which I send out to every class of incoming women who are going to our Bossed Up Boot Camp program, which is our weekend-long career transition boot camp. So everyone reads this on the way in the door is this concept of becoming a leader. The idea that leaders aren't born, you know, you're not born a leader or not, but rather it's this iterative process of internalizing an identity, of seeing yourself as the boss. How do you feel like women, especially women who are faced with these kinds of double binds on the regular, can cultivate a leadership identity, can really see themselves as the boss of their lives and their careers? Thank you for mentioning that article. It's also one of my favorites. Um, So Herminia Ibarra did a follow-up piece, which wasn't explicitly on gender, but it was helpful in terms of the iterative leadership process you're talking about. Um, And that is called the uh, authenticity paradox. And what she talks about in that article is how at first when you try some of these leadership behaviors, it won't feel like you. It will feel like you are totally making stuff up and you will try different things and some of them will work and some of them won't. And for women, unfortunately, what tends to happen is that we don't get sometimes the validation when we try out a new leadership behavior. So we'll try something and the feedback we get is either nothing, no one responds, Or we get negative feedback, like stop being so bossy. Um, But so there are sort of more hurdles here for women. Um, But at the same time, you know, there are organizations that are better at this than others. And then (laughs) there are women who just sort of figure out that they have to persist. I would say let's break it down with an example, right? I think the example that Ibarra writes about in that first piece is let's say you're working on a project with a few people at work. I was a very eager intern at a digital strategy shop here in D.C. at one point in my career. And I remember my fellow interns were very happy to be paid and to be seated at a desk in an air-conditioned office and to be doing whatever it is that they were told. And I was very bored because, you know, there was more that we could have been doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I was everyone's least favorite, most annoying intern, I am convinced at this point. But... What I did was I'd say, let's call a meeting. Let's have a conversation about how we can do this project together. And so we were sort of assigned to this group project, which happens on occasion in the working world. And 
when you call a meeting, let's say I sent an email out to all my fellow interns, they can either show up and validate that I made a leadership move and that they're acknowledging my leadership, they're encouraging it, they're saying that this is valid, or they could not show up, right? A simple rejection of my request, sometimes very passively done and sometimes not so passively done, like a reply all email that would say, how about we don't? <laughs> Mm. But those are the kinds of that, that kind of cycle of making a move of accepting responsibility as a leader and saying, I'm going to start this conversation so we can get this thing done is something that not all women really are encouraged to behave that way, first of all. And then when you do behave that way, you might get that negative response or no response, which decreases the likelihood of little intern me ever doing that again. So, you know, how we internalize the response we get as women leaders to me is just as important. Like maybe it was not me. Maybe the tactics I used should be changed up. But I don't know. I, I'm curious to hear what you think about women who make a leadership move and it doesn't go over so well should do. How should they process that internally? Great question. So I would say if I am channeling the research of uh, Ibarra, Ely, and Kolb, what they would say is to keep your focus on your leadership purpose rather than how you're perceived or what went wrong. So instead of, of sort of getting caught up in the kaleidoscope of other people's perceptions of you and wondering, you know, did people not come to that meeting because of because, you know, they don't like me or because they're sexist or whatever, um, just, tr just try something else. You know, if your focus is to foster that kind of conversation and the, the formal meeting didn't work, um, maybe try setting up an informal lunch instead or talking to people one-on-one -on -one instead of in a group setting. Um, and I think as long as you have a kind of purpose to guide you forward, then you can keep figuring out how to navigate those obstacles. The second thing I would say is that focus on getting better, not on being perfect. So I think as as women, a lot of us are, are conditioned to be perfectionists. Um, and this can be an ultimately really self-destructive goal. And there's a good reason for it. You know, we know from research that women's mistakes are judged more harshly and remembered longer than men's. So it is really self-protective of us to want to not ever make a mistake. But it's not realistic. Um, so if you keep your focus on I am just working on getting better and not on being perfect, uh, then you can stay in a sort of growth mindset and it's much less stressful. And it's also a good way to keep moving forward when you just keep feeling the obstacles. I love that. It's such a great combination of, of pieces of advice there because it's when you come across an obstacle, know that you can change up your methodology, right? Over it, around it, under it, however you need to get around it, get around it. And then at the same time, know that you are not your mistakes. I think that resilience is a huge part of how women leaders can continue rising in a world that's not always going to like us. <laughs> wow, Sarah, this has been such a great conversation. I know that you and I could probably talk about this topic for a few seasons of podcasts together. <laughs> But what do you want to see more women leaders do when they have the opportunity to lead? What kind of boss moves do you want to see more women leaders taking? Oh, my gosh. Well, I think as more women become leaders, we will see lots of great boss moves happening. Um, I do think that it would be negligent to not mention the one area where female leaders often do get rated lower than male leaders. So, Women leaders are rated more highly on literally dozens of competencies than male leaders. I mean, across the board, I, equally or better. 
the one thing that comes up again and again is strategic vision. And there is an article that we published in 2009 called Women and the Vision Thing that is all about this. And, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know if that's just bias. Like, do women share vision and then we just don't give them credit for it? Do they share vision in a way that people are not used to seeing as strategic vision? But I would say if you are a woman who is becoming a manager or a senior leader or has that aspiration, that is probably the one thing that you should make sure not to neglect because statistically it is likely to be a a sort of perception gap for you. And it's also the kind of thing where I think, you know, women are, we're super organized. We are great executors. We get a million things done. We charge ahead. We solve problems uh, and we do it all like empathetically and with a smile. I mean, come on. But, there, you know, sometimes I think we, when we are head down and charging forward on a problem like that, we don't get the credit we deserve for seeing the big picture and coming up with a strategic plan for the future. Right. Be audacious with your vision. Communicate your vision. Right. Be assertive with your vision, which if there's any way that women leaders can get even better is to have the confidence, I think, to communicate what it is that we want to see in this world which that's certainly the world I want to live in with more assertive women. <laughs> totally. And call it a vision. Do not be afraid. Do not say like, oh, and, and you know, this is my idea. Be like, here's my plan to get to my vision. <laughs> Just call it what it is. I'm so glad to hear that from you. You're kind of validating all the work we've been doing at Bossed Up for years now, helping women clarify and communicate their visions So, Sarah, thank you, and thank you to the whole HBR team for the great work you've done. We're going to be dropping links to all the references that were made throughout this conversation in our show notes. And be sure to check out Sarah's other awesome work in the podcast universe with Women at Work for Harvard Business Review and IdeaCast. Thank you so much for having me. How excellent was that conversation with Sarah Green Carmichael? Am I right? I love unpacking the science behind this, even though it can be a little depressing to sort of think about how to navigate a world where you want to be a boss, but you don't want to come across as a bitch. And how to really tap dance on that tightrope is no easy feat. One of the arenas in which this can be a real challenge for women, especially, is negotiation. So if you are interested in preparing for your next negotiation, knowing that as a woman, or even especially as a woman of color, you may be discriminated against for things that are well beyond your control. Know that that is part of my negotiation live workshop that I'm hosting on January 22nd. So it's coming up soon. We're hosting it live online. So you can really get that interactive workshop feel with your very own print at home or fill out online workbook a two hour long workshop at which time you'll get all your questions answered in real time and you'll have access to the recording so that you can go back and practice, right? So you can go back and really prepare as needed for the remainder of your career. We're going to walk through in a step-by-step way exactly what you need to know, exactly how you need to prepare to nail your next negotiation in a world that frankly doesn't always like it when women ask for more. So if you'd like to learn more, save your spot. Space is limited, you can register now at bossedup.org slash 
negotiation live. And now it's time for this week's boss move moment of the week. This one also came in from a member of the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. And it came in from Alicia who writes, I was finally able to schedule lunch with this badass woman whose career gives me hashtag career goals. In a couple of weeks, I'll be asking her all sorts of questions about her experience and what kind of advice she has for me. I'm hoping to start building a relationship with her so maybe she can be my mentor. Fingers crossed. Yes, Alicia, we're rooting for you, boss. And thanks for sharing this brilliant boss move. I am all about having those hashtag career crushes and really seeing the act of asking for their help as akin to making progress, right? Asking for help is the same thing as making progress on your goals. So this is an excellent first step. I'd also point you to one of our most popular blog posts and YouTube videos that I've ever created all about mastering the one-on-one meeting, those networking meetings like in preparation for this one, Alicia. And that's the post on our blog called How to Have Effective Networking Meetings That Don't Waste Each Other's Time. And for anyone listening who's thinking, I'd love to have an effective networking meeting, but the person who I have a total career crush on hasn't gotten back to me yet. You might also want to check out another really popular blog post we have at bossstrip.org called How to Land a Meeting with a Busy Person. Alicia, your boss move this week reminds me just how important it is that we lift as we climb and we are unafraid of asking for support and asking for other people's help and time and mentorship. So good on you, boss, for taking this first step and setting yourself up for success. We have our fingers crossed. We're snapping for you. I'm cheering you on. And thanks as always for sharing your come up story and sharing your win of the week. You never know who you'll inspire to do the same. That's all I got for you today, bosses. In the meantime, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. 